There are a lot of factors that contribute to your performance on the bike. Probably the biggest being the training that you actually do on the bike, but a close second would be what you're putting in your mouth to fuel that training and recovery. And there are a lot of theories out there on what diets, cyclists, triathletes and other endurance athletes should be following to maximize their potential. So today we're going to take a look at the science to get a clear answer on this muddy topic. And the good news is that it doesn't need to be nearly as complicated as a lot of people make it out to be. Hello everyone and welcome to the Castelli podcast. In today's episode, we are thrilled to have sports performance nutritionist Danny Hofstetter as our special guest. Born in Switzerland, Danny's lifelong passion for food, cooking and sports nutrition led him to an elite level in triathlon racing. Transitioning from his own athletic pursuit, he dedicated himself to empowering triathletes, cyclists, world tour riders, ultra-athletes, mountaineers and runners to reach their fullest potential. With over two decades of experience fueling champions, Danny holds the esteemed IOC Diploma in Sports Nutrition, awarded by the International Olympic Committee. So we brought one of the best guys in the field to join us on this very important topic of sports nutrition. On today's episode, Danny and I will delve into the four essential macronutrients, water, carbohydrates, protein, and good fats. We'll explore fueling strategies for ultra events or training rides, compare animal versus plant-based protein sources, discuss gluten, nutrition myths, and much more. This marks our second episode on sports nutrition. So if you missed last week's first episode, I highly recommend starting there where we covered the importance of incorporating fresh vegetables, fruits, fiber into your daily diet and the importance of a healthy gut, not just for athletes, but for everyone's well-being. Welcome Danny to today's podcast. We are incredibly excited to have our own performance-focused nutritionist sharing his insights with us. Well, hi Søren. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Danny, let's pick up where we left off last week and delve into the concept of food as fuel, its role as a conditioning agent, and its significant role in boosting recovery for optimizing performance. Should we start with macronutrients? I think there are eight. Well, let's discuss the core four carbohydrate, protein, fat, and if I'm not wrong, water. Yes, those are the most important ones. And I start with water because basically our body consists, depending on our sex and, and, and muscle mass, between 65 and, and, and 70% of water. And hydration is key, especially for an endurance athlete, because we sweat a lot, we need to replace that fluid. And if we drink an adequate amount every day, just our, it, it's like a lubricant, our metabolism just runs smoother. And yeah. an adequate amount normally is between two and two and a half liters of, of fluid. That's water, that's unsweetened herbal tea, that can be coffee as well. So everything that doesn't contain energy. Obviously in a hotter environment, you have to drink more because you already sweat more. And now in winter, if we have a heated office climate or, or in, your, in your home at home, in, in a very dry air, you lose more humidity through breathing and, and talking. Mm -hmm. So your uh, fluid need is, is increased as well. So between two and a, two and a half liters, it's kind of your, your, your baseline. And then for every hour of sport, 
where you sweat, we say between six and eight hundred milliliters of fluid in addition to these uh, to the to that baseline amount. And most of the athletes are are falling short here already. So they drink not mm. enough during their training, but also the everyday hydration is 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 often a bit short. And we see that no matter where we talk about headaches, sore muscles, so, so the whole recovery aspect, drinking enough is is kind of free medicine for that that you can get. You need to make it a habit because if you're working in, in your office and you don't have your water bottle on your desk, then obviously you forget it because there's calls, there's meetings and three, yeah. four hours of tasks. So actually then what I hear you saying is also maybe preparing yourself for, for the day. Maybe you take your two, three Castelli water bottles with you to work and you always fill them before when you leave home. So you have them there on your desk and you just uh, take them off one by one or you have one in the car if you have a longer commute to work and make sure you don't drink it all, you know, within two hours and think, you know, checked. Because what happens to your body if you drink too much water? To drink too much, yes, you're right. It can happen that you over-dilute yourself and that you kind of push the osmotic balance into the negative. But in order to do that, you would need to drink six to eight liters within three or four hours. And I mean, that's ah, okay. almost <laughs> something you, you you don't get it's done. Impossible. No, uh, no, for, no. For sound people. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Uh, and if you mentioned already the water bottle, something that is very important as well is to replace your water bottles regularly. One thing that cyclists oversee is even if you only drink water from your from your bidon, you have certain molds and just residue from, from your tap water. And so it's recommended to put it in your dishwasher to kind of uh, have it sanitized and then yeah. replace it after half a year or so because it's just also some sort of, of bacterial stress that you can get through that. And you mm -hmm. want to... Interesting. Yeah. No, that makes sense. What about people doing the, those ultra gravel races? Maybe they have a bladder. To clean the bladder, apart from you can buy them everywhere, those tablets that you can just throw in that would just clean it. Is that the, the go-to if you have a bladder? Or is there other ways you can clean your hydro bladder? The bladders are, are super hard because you have so many dead spots, especially in the tubing that kind of comes from your, your hydro pack or whatever you have. Yeah. The easiest thing is basically to lay them out dry in the in, in plain sun because UV radiation is is, is killing bacteria as well. Oh, so rinse yeah. it well with hot water. Don't burn it because the plastic uh, shrinks. But rinse it well with water. Lay it out in the sun for for half a day or a day. It helps drying and also sanitizes the bladder. So that's yeah. that's something that's working. Most of the bottles don't are not transparent, such as the bladders. That's why it doesn't really work for for these uh, these bottles. The bladders, I would recommend if you're doing lots of events to replace them regularly, because again, you will only get so and so much cleaning effect. And, and the bladder, obviously, yes, there are envir environmental concerns, but if you have to replace a bladder every year or so, I think that's that's manageable. It is manageable. I mean, if you like listen to your recommendation, also replacing your your water bottle twice a year, I think it's more or less the same if you change your bladder than once a year. So I think yeah. you're 
So, okay, so we checked one box when we're talking about micronutrients. We got water. Let's jump into mm-hmm. carbohydrate. But let's look at the best carbohydrates for a performance athlete. We know usually come from breads and cereals, uh, rice, noodles, pasta, muesli, crackers, muesli bars, fruits, dried fruits, potatoes. I mean, the list just goes on and on. But I'll let you mention just maybe the top five that you think that, that are the most valid. For me, the, the, well, the by far the number one is, is obviously the champion's breakfast, oats. Uh, oats contain lots of beta-glucans. The beta-glucans, they're the, this, this soluble fiber I mentioned. So that's very good. And, uh, well, at least for me personally, I never get tired of them. So mm. whether it's your You're porridge right. or you can do it as a, as a, as a bircher muesli, a bircher, uh, you can blend in your whey protein or whatever. So it's very, very variable. After oats, I would go with buckwheat, something that is not very known, but that's very healthy. And despite it's, it's, it contains wheat in the name, it's not related to wheat and it's gluten-free for people that need to have gluten-free carbohydrates. Oats are, by the way, gluten-free as well, but since most oats come from mills that process wheat as well, you have a cross-contamination with gluten. If you buy gluten-free oats, it's not a different plant. It's just mm-hmm. made on machinery that's only exclusively used for gluten-free production. Um, so we have oats, we have buckwheat. I'm a big fan of millet as well. It's very okay. easy to digest. It's a very good yeah. meal after your ride because it gives you rather quick energy and contains lots of protein and, and, and minerals. So lots of minerals, zinc, yeah. It's very good. And then quinoa is very healthy, contains more protein, but but not much carbohydrate. So in order to fuel up on carbs with quinoa, you need to eat a huge bucket. So that's mostly where athletes fall a little bit short on it. So if we go for the more carb-dense sources, also a big fan of sweet potato. Correct, yeah. Uh, and then, yes, think about pasta. That. I mean, eat pasta, ride faster. <laughs> it can be whole wheat pasta can be plain pasta uh, it doesn't matter the differences are are minimal but please don't just eat pasta because then you definitely fall short of, of fiber and and other nutrients but it's yeah. not it's not a bad food like just to make put that yeah. out there and the same goes with rice Oh, yes. I mean, obviously, yeah. rice, brown rice, white rice. The brown rice yes. contains more fiber. The white rice is rather something that needs to be eaten when, when it's a quick energy, when it shouldn't stay long. Um, yeah. But then we already have kind of five or six great carb sources. Bread is something great as well. With bread, I want to focus on what you buy in the supermarket is, is unfortunately very... Uh, bad manufacturing practices if you if you talk to a baker because there's lot there are lots of additives so that the dough matures quite quickly and dough maturation is very important because in these hours inhibiting substances that keep you from absorbing nutrients well are degraded so if you accelerate the dough maturation process uh, they are still in your bed and basically what you eat is a, is a carb sponge, but not very healthy in, in those regards. And so it's it's worth, worth to buy bread from a good bakery and not just the industrialized stuff. Yeah. No, these are good uh, good good recommendations, uh, Danny. And again, Danny. I mean, 
gluten, to put it out there, gluten not bad for you. The percentage of people that cannot eat gluten are, are really uh, minimal for the situation, but we probably touch on that later. Right in front of, of, of a competition, I have several athletes that cope better with rice than with pasta, for example, because mm -hmm. probably not because of the gluten, but because the starch in rice is, is easier digested. But at the moment, too many athletes are concerned that they cannot eat gluten and it's not, not a proper concern. And if you always avoid gluten, obviously at one point your body struggles with gluten. That's that's for sure. Correct. Because yeah. use it or lose it. That's that's the nature's motto. And if you yeah. never have exposure to a certain substance, you cannot digest it as well. No, that's correct. And let's just also point out, you know, the percentage of people that are allergic to gluten. What, what do you know that number? Because I heard it's like super super low. You know, if you look yeah, at it worldwide, on the top of my head, it's it's like 0.9 percent, uh, right, or or even less. So, upper celiac disease patients are are really a minority, and I'm not yeah. wanting to kind of disrespect them or or say that's not relevant because they struggle badly, and and it's really consequential for them if they eat gluten. But uh, I mean, if you look at the lit at kind of the media currently. Gluten is almost your performance killer, number one. Yeah, That's right. Just not true. <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I mean, there's there's so much out there on the internet that, that people shouldn't really believe in, and maybe they should come to a person like yourself, a professional nutritionist, who will actually be able to give give advice. Because the thing today, we spend so much money on a bike fit that we get every two years. We spend a lot of money on our bike stuff. We spend a lot of money on you know, training coaches, or even if it's just through an app online or whatever it is. But we go to the eye doctor because we go to a professional person, but very few people, I think, apart from when you're really at the top end of the performance, you go and, and search or look for a nutritionist, like yourself, a sports nutritionist, for an advice. What do you think? You you can definitely learn a lot, and not just for your sports, but but also for for your everyday life and health. Yeah, I I always try to make myself as redundant as soon as possible because when we talk nutrition, we also have to face that it can be that you're fixated too much on on eating well. Yeah, you're concerned too well, and that you heading more towards. A, a disordered eating pattern or, or an eating disorder, which is something that needs to be avoided badly, especially yeah. in performance sports. But but yes, I mean, I'm often shocked how little people are still in touch with their appetite, their hunger, their their body awareness. Yeah. And and if we make the, the right shifts in their diet, they have a huge aha moment and, and they sleep better, they perform better, they feel better. And so, yes, there are lots of domino stones that, that fall when, when you hit the right ones. Yeah. So guys, again, don't just go and you know believe everything you read online, but also talking to your best mate with his or hers nutrition recommendations because they might work for that person but they might not work for you because it's all you know it's all individual so and it's impossible to there's no one size fits all with nutrition and we can't box people into everyone should do this like whether it's day-to-day -day nutrition is fueling doing doing race day what's the best strategy and so on so 
think at the end of this of the podcast, we will, uh, but also in podcast notes, I will leave all your contacts. Uh, but also, if you have other links or recommendations for other websites that people can go and look to, uh, if they want to get to know Absolutely. more and get to know more about you. So, okay, so we take the box for water, carbohydrate. Now let's talk about can I, protein. Sorry, can I finish carbohydrate quickly, just because yes. it's very important? Of course, it's the main fuel for every endurance athlete. It's 50 to 60 percent of your everyday energy and there's no need to go out and ride on an empty stomach if you get the quality right and if you don't just run on on fast carbs right that's just to focus yeah thanks for making that clear protein for everyone to be really clear on what is actually a good protein source we got plant-based sources and we got the an animal base. But let's start with the animal base and then jump into plant-based. Good animal protein sources are lean sources such as poultry, so chicken, turkey. We have lean beef. We have also pork. Pork is not a bad meat, something that most people think in, in certain cultures or religion it's prohibited. Fair enough. But for people that uh, are not... Uh, morally or or under another code yeah uh, probably prohibited pork is a good source lean pork and red meat has the advantage to contain lots of iron iron is necessary for endurance athletes because we needed to make red blood cells red blood cells transport oxygen oxygen transport is, is vital for performance so those are good animal protein sources also eggs and and dairy I'm a huge fan of, of cow's milk. It's it's a debate whether we should drink cow's milk all through our lives because basically it's infant right. nutrition. But yeah. if we look at cow's milk, it has the best protein quality. It contains lots of good minerals and vitamins. So uh, I'm absolutely team cow's milk. That also includes yogurt, I assume. Absolutely. Yogurt, yeah. cheese, fresh cheese, cheese um, yeah. the likes. Good. Then let's mention a few plant-based sources. For the plant-based sources, I'm very fond of nuts. They're obviously rich in fat, but but have good quality protein as well. So they give you oh. more than just protein, yeah. Yes, a ton of minerals. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, also they eat a mix, not just going exactly. with your walnuts because you like that sweetie taste. Yes. No, it's 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 walnuts, it's almonds. Uh, almond is technically not a nut, but, but that's just a botanical view. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Peanuts, uh, hazelnuts. Hemp is something that's very interesting. So hemp parts contain very good hemp protein. It's very good quality, although not very high amounts, but it, you can use it to, to put in your muesli or over your salad. And then other plant-based protein sources are obviously lentils, chickpeas, so the whole legume department. Mm-hmm. There, the problem is just you have to soak the legumes well overnight because they are high in in phytic uh, acid, and if if you have lots of, of of this phytic acid in your food, it blocks iron, calcium, magnesium, zinc, etc. absorption. And you don't want to kind of cross these out. Mm-hmm. So soak them well, cook them well. But but th- those are probably the, the, the go-to plant sources for vegetarians and vegans. Obviously, then products made of them, uh, soy, 
gives you tofu, wheat gives you uh, seitan. And then one very interesting thing that is, is, is hugely growing in popularity is mushroom protein. So the whole fungi oh. uh, thing, yeah. you can have kind of meat imitates, like products that look like a, a steak or so made from mushroom protein. Is very high in quality and and a very good also in, in in mineral content. The differentiation we always have this debate: animal versus plant-based protein. If you go strictly plant-based, you can have enough protein, but you need to eat more in in, in terms of amount because there is less prone protein uh, than compared to animal-based protein sources, and the quality is also lower because they contain less essential amino acids. Essential amino acids make up for protein quality and, and efficacy in, in our protein biosynthesis. And so you have to combine many plant protein sources in order to compensate for the lack in quality. So go with, for vegetarians, a very good combination is potato and eggs, wheat plus lentils is a very good thing. And this compensates for certain deficiencies in quality. If I look on the back of a pack of a seitan or tofu and it says it contains 18 grams of protein per 100 gram, if that is on meat, on chicken, I will say, okay, I got those 18 grams of really pure protein. When it comes to plant-based protein, can I trust those numbers of 18 grams of protein on my one serving of seitan or do I need to double that up? That is a very good point you're making. Normally... This has been neglected for a very long time, but nowadays we see that indication or, or the analytics in the lab that, that you do to, to come to this number 18 grams mm -hmm. is probably misleading. And that's why we start to say, if you're strictly plant-based, you need to up your protein intake by 50%, so over almost 50% or up to 50% to make sure that these potential deficiencies are compensated and you arrive at the required or recommended amount. So that's something right. where, where we see that not every, it, 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 the analysis is nitrogen based and not all the nitrogen contained in plant-based proteins are like functional proteins, so to speak. And that's why if you, you have this double disadvantage, your your food contains less protein in total and you need to have a higher intake so you end up eating lots of lentils lots of chickpeas and and and, and mushrooms and, and yeah okay so that's yeah. make it more difficult i'm not saying it makes it, it does impossible, yeah. but no but it, it makes it more difficult and you need to have lots of conscious decisions where uh, uh, an animal place based diet is easier to to match your requirements with Thanks, Danny. I think we got a lot caught of, if not all, for vegetarian and vegan like alternatives here. So how many grams of protein do we need per day? In terms of total amount, that's that's mostly something that that is achievable. For an endurance athlete, we we see between 1.6 and 1.8 grams per kilogram. This needs to be upped if you're heading into an energy deficit in order to avoid muscle loss. You up mm -hmm. this up to 2.1, 2.3 grams per kilogram body weight. This is a very recent study that came out that shows that a, a different perspective because for the past probably 50 years, we say women 
female bodies require less protein because they have a smaller muscle mass. That's just by genetics, not yeah. being sexist here. But a very interesting study showed that if we look through a catabolic lens, so if we monitor athletes during three, four hour cycling, and if we look at how much, how many amino acids they oxidize, which is a, a proxy for your catabolism, so so your muscle loss through through exercise, and, yeah. and that shows that we actually have a protein parity. So both sexes, female and male, start to reduce this amount of oxidized amino acids dramatically at a at a turn point of 1.8 grams per kilo body weight. So. So this, it's a very early observation, but this leads to the point where you can say maybe female endurance athletes need more protein than expected so far and need as much as, as their male counterparts. Yeah, Counterparts, yeah. No, thanks for pointing that out, uh, Daniel. I think that, that's that was really important to, to get that information out there. What about fat? What are the good fats and how much fat do we need in our daily diet? Fat is always a bit the, the ugly duckling from, from the macros because <laughs> it's obviously the most calorie dense food. One gram of fat contains more energy more, or, or more than twice the energy of carbohydrates and protein. And that's mm -hmm. why fat has a bit of bad reputation. Au contraire, I would say, because... If we eat the right fats, and again, it's unprocessed fats, not the industrial fats that we see in, in convenience food or, or highly processed food items such as margarine or, or, or these kind of instant sauces or instant soups, then the, the, the great sources are multi or, or mono or, or multi-unsaturated fatty acid containing fats. These are plant oils, olive oil is very good. Then we have pumpkin seeds, we have flaxseed, we have hemp oil. So these are very strong in taste. So you rather use it for the cold kitchen, not to fry your stuff. In order to heat uh, or, or fry food, then we have certainly olive oil, but not the, the cold pressed one, but uh, not the extra vergine olive oil, but the, the regular one, which is cheaper, is more heat stable. So you use that for frying. Or right. you use uh, grapeseed oil, which is very good, high in antioxidants. And then obviously, there's the, the, the so many quoted fatty fish, salmon, tuna, mackerel, trout, that contain lots of omega-3 fatty acids. Three, six, nine, yeah. Mm. And then we got, what we, we already mentioned, a, a good yeah, blend and, of different nuts. Different nuts and avocado and yeah, those avocado, things. And then certain algae, but I'm apart from Asia, I don't know many people that eat algae at, at a regular interval, maybe as a supplement, but, but there you have also the, the same qualities that you find in avocado, for example, or, or in hemp. How much fat do we need a day and when is not a good time to consume it? So with fat, it's necessary to understand we need a minimal amount to also kind of absorb the, the 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 fat soluble vitamins but that's that's easily done so if you include the healthy fat sources that we just mentioned on a regular basis then then you check that box easily 
And then one important thing is just to know that fat is digested super slow, so kind of the slowest of all. And so make sure before your ride not to eat too much fat because it sits mm -hmm. in your stomach. And then even if you had a hard ride and you want to recover in the best and quickest way, don't go to your chocolate cake and whatnot afterwards because this slows down digestion and slows down also the accessibility mm -hmm. of protein and carbs, which is recovery relevant. So that rather away from your sport and then you're, you're well off. Good. Thanks for, for bringing that in. Now we checked all the four boxes of the macronutrients. How do you go about that process? If you look at the macronutrients breakdown, so you're aiming for a certain amount of carbs, fats, and protein per day. We touched on some of them. How do we start to look at what we need? I mean, on a Sunday, you might be more active than on a Wednesday or on a Monday. And then that could change every week. Or should we try to be a little bit more clever and know that I'm going to be sitting in the office all day today. So I need less fuel for that day. What's your take on this and recommendations? The short answer is yes. You, If you match your carbohydrate intake to your activity level, then that's always best. That goes for your energy balance as, as much as, as carbohydrate needs because that directly related to the amount of exercise you do. It's, it's important to know that the body doesn't push on reset at midnight and then everything starts new. Obviously, if we do a hard workout and if we empty our tank, meaning glycogen stores are, are really empty, typically if we bonk hard, then that mm -hmm. takes the 48 hours until we fully recovered rather more. And okay. that's why if you take one day off in your week, that doesn't mean that you need to starve yourself on your off days. I, I think that's a really important point. Yeah. You know, because we, we all look at maybe less now than it was five plus years ago, where everyone was looking at professional cyclists, professional athletes online and on their recovery days, you would see them eat non-carbo foods. I think a lot of people went down that rabbit hole and it was not good to them at all. And they were all, I'm not saying they were bonking without on their, on their rides, but you know, they were definitely not performing at their, uh, at their best. Yes, especially important because we're obviously among cyclists is we have a very high expectation in terms of leanness and watts per kilo, meaning we try to keep our body fat percentage as low as possible. And that's a natural enemy of, of your hormonal balance. And this phenomenon that emerged about eight years ago, so around 2015, is called RED-S, so Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports. And what it means is that after you've spent your calories on the bike, the, the energy remaining from your diet is too low to have your body doing all its maintenance work. So bone replacement, muscle repair, etc. And this has fatal consequences. Unfortunately for women, this, the, the negative consequences start earlier. So they have an irregular menstrual cycle or, or are amenorrheic. So the menstrual cycle comes to a stop completely. We get more prone to injury. We, we can get depressive symptoms. And we fall ill more often because the immune system is depressed. And, and 
often I see that athletes are not willingly underfueling, but they just underestimate the energy amount or the, the energy requirement. And something we only recently saw is that it's not only not enough energy in total, but also the lower carbohydrate diets. So if, if you're on a low carbohydrate diet, the risk of getting into the energy deficiency trap is, is even more dominant. And that's something I want to stress on because especially cyclists that want to improve their fat oxidation capacities, they often push their low calorie or low carbohydrate rides to a really high extent. And that has a very high price and you shouldn't do that too often. Or if you're already in a stressful job, you shouldn't do it, period, because the stress or the load compounded is already high enough. It's already high, yeah. No, I can definitely relate to that, Danny. And it's and it's something I always knew, even from from the old days when I was uh, was racing my bike. Uh, but you can also just feel it yourself, you know, that you're just feeling that there's something that is off and you're not performing. Yes, and that's an important thing. Obviously, yes, we match the amount of carbohydrate to the activity level. But we're often misled by, okay, this is a hard day, tomorrow is an easy day. And and how long mm. the, the loading or the, the recuperating of, of an effort takes is often misunderstood. So I, I would say if you know that you're going out for two long days on the weekend, then you can easily start having a higher carb intake on Thursday night through Friday because you fill up your glycogen stores and then you, you're happy mostly Sunday afternoon because you notice only at the later end of, of your effort, have I fueled properly or not? Um, yeah. That goes for loading before a ride as much as during a ride. So right. if you notice it, it's, it's actually too late. You know what I mean? What is the daily recommendation of carbohydrate for a cyclist or an athlete? An average recommendation is for easy days, you're sitting somewhere around three to four grams of carbohydrate per kilogram body weight. Mm -hmm. um, on your average training day where you're out there for two hours-ish, you're around five to six grams. On a very intense day where you do quality and or longer ride, you're more in the realm of six to seven grams. And then if you really want to load up or if you really ride hard, then you're between eight and 12 grams. And that's an area that we touched on in, in the Grand Tour stuff. It's not fun to eat eight grams of carbohydrates. No, I was about to say. It's, it's, and that must be it, difficult. And we should, we should mention here, there's not something that people should go out and do starting on to, from tomorrow. Eating is kind of the part of, of your training regimen. Eating a lot, if you don't feel like, is necessary if you want to perform well and, and, and perform on an exceptional level. And one thing that's also very important that we haven't touched on yet is obviously cycling is, is a, a sport where, where gravity is really punishing you, meaning you need to be lean and light to, to be fast on every terrain. If you're not a sprinter, watt per kilos is, is is super important. It's the measure that defines your performance and whether you're right. ahead or behind your competition. And here we see very extreme physiques, especially in pro cycling. I mean, you can tell, you, you tailor the clothes for the pros. So you, you yeah. see how physique changed from a professional rider yeah. in, in the last two or three decades. And, and such a lean physique is not something I recommend for, for an athlete that's just riding for fun. 
because attaining it in a healthy way is, is super difficult, needs to be monitored properly and, and is not something that, that goes well within, I would say, quality of living. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I always try to give amateur athletes a bit of a peace of mind and say, look, if we focus more on training right instead of losing another six kilos, which is hard and, and a potential risk for your health, uh, yeah. then, then better off here. No, you're right. Thanks for pointing that out, Dan. Like, and now you were also referring to the clothing when we go and, and fit the riders. It's funny you should say this because this morning or before we we jumped on we're jumping on this call, I had a text message from Jenny Moscon, as we all know now, just had signed for Sudel Quickstep for 2024, and we worked a ton with him also because he's he's based just an hour drive from the office, and he knew his size or when he was on Ineos Grenadiers and and in Castelli. But even Jenny, when I texted him yesterday, if he needed a fit wanted to come over to the office and, and have him fit him again. He was like, yeah, definitely, because uh, I'm more lean now. I definitely want to make sure that I'm I'm the right size because uh, I'll gain a bit more muscle mass here and there. So you're right. Nutrition has definitely changed over the past 5, 10, 15 years. And nutrition now, a day is what I see with the professional athletes that we are working with, professional cyclists and triathletes is, and, and you know this as well, is that nutrition is not separated from training plans. Today, the riders know exactly how much carb there is in the bottle or in the pockets or how to refuel for tomorrow's race or training, even when they're, when they're home. And I think that's what a lot of amateurs probably where they still need to be educated about their nutrition and the quality of the training and recovery. All this should start at development level. You know, with with the younger with the younger guys, what different types of training needs different kinds of nutrition? I mean, it's it's a big learning curve, just like everyday training. Absolutely, and and if you start early, it's like if you learn language. At at the beginning, you need to look up every second word, and it's very tantalizing. Right. And at at some point, you become fluent, and that's the same thing with nutrition. And if you learn it early, and if you if I work with with young athletes. Then once they hit kind of the U23 or, or, or pro county level, then they know what they have to do and they are on a much better level than, than we've seen the, the, the senior pros from, from today because so much knowledge has, has emerged in the past 15 years. And also yeah. so many more sophisticated products that enable a proper fueling have only come recently to the market. To the market, yeah. So... Danny, in our everyday life, we make decisions, especially as you said today, we got all the variables, we got all these fancy apps where we add in all our daily notes and stuff. I mean, we make decisions based on how we are feeling and coping with stress, family, work, training. And when we come home, we rate the day and training in our own mind or take notes about how the session went or RPE. Should we be doing the same thing about fueling? I mean... Did I think I fueled myself well today? Do I feel tired? Did I get enough energies into myself today? Is that how we're measuring whether we are being effective? Yes, that's it's a very good way of assessing how was my fueling, was my performance even to the very end. And that goes for business as much as for, for, for your sports performance. 
Do I feel well? Of course, we can be exhausted after a good training or after a hard day of work, but but we don't have to be kind of almost close to coma, uh, headache, and and uh, almost fainting. So that's that's yeah. a good indicator. I would though put an asterisk on it and say don't over analyze it because if you track your food, whether it's uh, with a journal or an app day in day out this is completely straight leading into a very fixed mind on food a very disordered eating behavior and and i'd rather go and say okay i have simple goals such as yes i drink enough water during the day i i make sure i have good snacks and not just the candy bars that are laying around in the office then these are simple steps that you can take in order to improve your diet. And it doesn't need to yeah. be monitored and measured with, with an app because the the potential fault or accuracy that is missing in the app is misleading you as much. So one of the best things that we always have with us is appetite and well-being. And if you are more on that side and, and you gauge your day with these metrics, then then you're definitely doing better. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, like you said, I mean, we don't really want to yeah, get to the feeling where, where we start having a headache or we have a hamstring straight feelings in your body that we didn't fuel up correctly. I think some of the symptoms will come out and will show if you go for a ride or run and you just, after 10, 15 minutes, you just feel like, there's just nothing for a lunchtime run, but maybe I was a little quick in the morning to skip breakfast or the night before I only had salad or something. You know, I think about it straight away. I mean, you feel it. So, so what about one, one thing the, you, sorry, one thing you said yeah. earlier was, is, is basically the most important point. If you prepare well, then your day goes better. Failing to plan means planning to fail. That's how the quote goes. Correct. And that's yeah. absolutely right for nutrition as well. You're right. And it's it's so easy when you come home late in the evening, either after work, after a training ride and and just be too tired and, you know, just really to cook yourself a good meal. But that could already have been prepped beforehand. I usually also when I prepare my rice or quinoa, I always like cook a bunch of extra and I just have it uh, sitting in, in the fridge and you just take whatever I need and I keep it there for two or three days. And it's easy. To get Absolutely. And, so that's, and that's other things pre-prepared kind of things. Toolbox that, that that you're applying. Yeah. And and also you can cook in one pan within 50 minutes a complete meal. Correct. If you know yeah. your ingredients, if you have your yeah. staple foods at home, and yeah. if you come home before you're hitting the shower, you just put everything on the stove, and on, uh, by the time you're done, your meal is basically ready. That's that's how ready, I yeah. get my athletes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. So Dan, one thing that have happened to all of us at some point in our cycling or athlete career is bonking. So when hitting a wall bonking, let's say that you're even one or two hours away from home, what's the best way to pull yourself out of that and make sure you get home without having to call someone to pick you up? <laughs> I would say it's the, that red soda pop can that you, you get on every <laughs> gas station. No, basically, Coca-Cola is, is, a, is a very good lifesaver in these moments because it's, it contains a lot of sugar, obviously. It contains caffeine. 
caffeine is is uh, boosting your energy metabolism as much as it it fights the perception of fatigue in your in your brain and so that that leads quickly out of this kind of very faint state where you almost uh, run around cross-eyed and and can't turn the pedal <laughs> anymore yeah basically and that's what you referred to earlier it there is also there are moments for elite riders where you want to ride on a low carbohydrate availability in order to challenge your fat metabolism but that mm -hmm. shouldn't go to the very moment that you bonk completely because what happens is your cortisol level so the stress hormone in your body gets goes through the roof and mm -hmm. and you want to avoid the stress because that shifts your metabolism towards catabolism so so a negative state of your metabolism where you lose muscles where you recover much worse than when when you're well fed yeah um, but if you hit the wall make sure you get simple sugar mostly through drinking because then that's digested faster that can be coca-cola that can be what you often see in, in pro cycling is some sort of orange or, or, or fruit based soda drink because more fructose helps to replenish glycogen in the liver faster so so basically you can easily go for any soda that you can cope with make sure not to be overly carbonated drink so that you don't have to throw up if you drink a lot of gassy um, drinks drinks um, yeah i wouldn't recommend necessarily energy drinks of, of any brand because they're they're not helping better than than any other sweet sweet drinks and and what what helps as well is is maybe add to your coca-cola a shot or two of espresso and then you should make it home as you make it home and i think it's also important here to underline that maybe for some people that you will never be empty of uh, muscle glycogen I mean, you always still have a little bit of some in your liver because else I assume we would be dead otherwise. But Absolutely. And But I mean, the reason why we feel so shitty is our perception, our awareness, our coordination relies on, on our blood sugar levels. And if we yeah. can really drive them south, we feel performance declining. And also we're only, the reason why we feel so bad or why we have to slow down is if we are relying on fat as a fuel, we need to get enough oxygen. And that's only possible depending on your fitness level, obviously. That's only right. possible if you if you turn down your your RPMs. Yeah. <laughs> correct. Correct. How long does it take then to to fill up a fuel tank after we're pretty much empty at it? Yeah. Longer than we think. I mean if 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 you fueled up before a long ride, let's say you, you plan a six-hour ride on the weekend and, and you fuel properly before that, so you have your glycogen stores topped up and you empty them completely or 90% because you don't want to bonk, right. then it takes easily 48 hours, rather 72, until you are on the same level. Uh, in, in order to avoid this, you need to make two things. You need to fuel better. So most casual riders they start fueling drinking their sports drink or eating bars and gels kind of two hours into a ride but 
the hole or the damage that's been done in the first 120 minutes is something that you cannot catch up in the later hours of the ride. So it makes sense to start fueling from the very first hour on. That helps with recovery mainly. That helps with having the best last hour that you ever had on a ride. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and after the ride, as I said, have fast carbs in the recovery phase. So the first one to two hours after your ride, little but quickly digestible protein, not much fat because that slows down how how the energy reaches your system. Yeah. And keep eating carb focused for the next 24 hours in order to replenish what you've expended. What you expended, yeah. Coming down almost to the end of this interview, the golden question here, we got these founding principles. We're understanding the varieties of food sources. So what do I eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner during a regular training week? Or maybe I have a longer event on the weekend. If you just can sum that up in without going a little bit too 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 deep into this, that would be fantastic for all of us, I think. Uh, for breakfast, I would always start with uh, a good portion of, of slow carbs. So let's make it oats, let's make it a whole wheat bread with enough protein because the protein makes sure that the carbs are digested slower and that your satiety yeah. levels are better. And don't forget, you've slept, hopefully, eight hours and your blood sugar levels are is, is rather low when you stand up. So you need carbs and protein. And then throughout the day, make sure to kind of allocate your protein portions over the day that improves protein efficiency in your body and stick for your little snacks between the main meals, stick to slow carbs, to fruits, to nuts. So that also helps in having stabilized your blood sugar levels. And then as athletes, whether we prepare for a long weekend or we are in, your, in our everyday training process, Make sure you have enough carbs as with your mains, so lunch and supper. Have whole food carbohydrate sources, the, the ones we mentioned earlier. And make sure they cover probably 50% of your plate. Then if you have this kind of individual plate separation, make sure about a third is, is, is fruits and vegetables. And then the last sector that's, that's to be covered is your protein sources. And then with every main meal, obviously, at least one serving of protein in order to get these these amounts throughout the day. Throughout the uh, day, yeah. And then something that is often misunderstood is you shouldn't eat too late in order not to compromise your sleep quality. But if you're moving regularly, there's no need to be afraid of carbs for dinner. So no need to cut out the carbs for dinner. Point. As long as you're not eating only ice cream or, I mean, basically uh, sugar, but, but also kind of fiber-rich carbohydrate sources, you need this point of the day also to kind of top up your carbohydrate portion of the day. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that is a good recommendation and it's also easy for, for everyone, I think, to follow. I know it sounds simple, but sometimes you just need to get into... I think the routine of just thinking also ahead how your week will look like and what you can do to prepare 
for the week. So maybe on your recovery day, you spend a bit more time pre-cooking, preparing the things that you will be eating during the week or at the office or at, uh, at work. So uh, yeah. Daniel, last but not least, are there any nutrition myths floating around that we should point out here just before before wrapping up this episode? I think I touched on a few. So like my favorite <laughs> ones are keep on drinking milk if you're not allergic to lactose or milk protein. And again, that's very limited amount of people that are. Milk is a good thing. Gluten is not your enemy. Carbs are an endurance athlete's best friend if you go for the right quality at the right point of time. And in in the Western world, uh, or, or like let's say the developed world, where we are not having any kind of scarcity of food, we hardly ever have not enough protein, like from a general population point of view. But for athletes that try to be very lean, that that are maybe plant-based, there we see that the protein amount is not enough and that's detrimental to your performance. So the, the myth that protein is only for, for strength athletes, for the crossfitter, the bodybuilder, whatnot, is de definitely wrong because what we try to achieve through endurance training needs protein as well, as we touched on earlier. Other myths, I'm not a big fan of time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, or how you can call it as well. Yeah. Because for the athlete that trains regularly, the, the phases of activity is a more important zeitgeber, so a more important point in your metabolic clock to dictate what you need when you need it than to yeah. restrict your calorie intake window to whatever, eight hours or, or, or what kind of number. And by reducing that that time to a restricted number, you most often cut short on on calories or best protein supply. And that's why for athletes, it's definitely not suitable. It's not suitable, no. Especially the fasting is something that I forgot to, to ask you. So I'm happy that you actually brought this out now because that's also something that I have seen myself but 10 plus years ago falling into uh, And that definitely, definitely didn't work for me. So I'm happy that you pointed this out. So, hey, man, look, it's been brilliant to get you on the Castelli pod again. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. I know it's hard to be specific, but the general comments you're making are really, really helpful to the people who are listening. And most people, we are in the same boat. A lot of us are uneducated and it's people like you that can make everyday athletes become better versions of themselves, not only on the bike or in the run, but also in their everyday life. So if they're just willing to put the time in into listening to the advice. So in the podcast description, I will track a link to your social handle and also to your website. So people can go and click there and, and check out more information about you. And then, Dan, we will be coming back. We should schedule also already next week maybe to jump on fooling up for race day. And I think also sports drinks, which is also I think is a big hype at the moment. It's a jungle to find out what what's out there already on the market and also what works for you. So yeah. if you're up for that, then if you have time next week, I would love to jump on uh, this episode with you because we've been on for almost two hours now 
So as I said at the beginning, <laughs> I can't wait to to get back, and uh, I'm happy if I can shed some light on simple tips that can make athletes cope better with with that. No, we appreciate it. We we appreciate, it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Danny. It's been amazing to have you on, and we hope that athletes continue to learn more of this stuff, including ourselves, because it's just so important. So yeah. We hope that everyone, all the listeners here, you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one. So, Danny, thank you again for taking the time to to meet up. Thank you, sir. Take care, eat well, and uh, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. That's it for the second episode of Sports Nutrition. Tune in to the third episode on December 19, where we'll discuss fueling strategy for race day and endurance events. On December 27, we'll wrap up sports nutrition, talking about how to fuel for cold winter training rides and indoor cycling, including how to fuel for long indoor riding. And talking about indoor riding, next week we will actually have the first episode discussing esports and especially Castelli's Swift series. With Castelli's esports division manager Rich Lovelock and one of old time leaders Lars Bleswick of Norway, they will take you through all the details about esports in general and Castelli's Swift series. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, give us a five star rating to help us be seen by other cyclists in the algorithm. And if you want to suggest a future podcast topic, just shoot us a line at podcast at castelli-cycling.com or hit us up on socials. I'll drop Danny's contact details and other important information from this episode in the show notes. We hope you all enjoyed this episode and see you next week. Take care and ride safe.